As we open the word, let us pray. Our Father and our God, this is your word. This is the very essence of Jesus, the word of God. We pray that as we open the word, that you will be here in such a powerful way today. That we'll hear the angels who sing holy, holy, holy is our God. And may we know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Please, bless your word. Send your Holy Spirit to open our understanding. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. No, Lord, you're not going to do it. I'm telling you, you are not going to do it. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, Lord, if, you, if that's the way it's going to be, that, that wash all of me. And Peter said, Lord, I cannot live without you. I cannot live without you. You are my God. You are my Savior. You are the Son of the living God. Wash me totally, fully. I am yours. Let's turn. Oh, by the way, if you want to get the most out of coming into the sanctuary of God, the house of prayer, you need to bring your Bibles. And when you bring your, your Bibles with you, you need to bring a notebook with you. Because we go through a lot of Bible texts. And you won't be able to write them all down fast enough unless you have a notebook. So when you're coming to church, how many of you would make an agreement with the pastor, I'll bring my Bible? How many would make an agreement, I'll bring a notebook or a piece of paper and a pen to write down the Bible text? So I can look them up later. The Bible says they overcame by the word of the Lord and the testimony of what? The blood of the Lamb and what? The word of their testimony. In the book, Great Controversy, there's a little statement about page 601, I think it is. And it says, none but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will be able to stand through the last great conflict. How many of you want to be standing in the last great conflict and have Jesus say, Lo, I've come to get you? Then we have to be students of the Word. We have to know the Word. We have to be able to speak the Word and to give a counsel from the Word. Let us turn in our books to John 13. How many of you have a Bible? Raise your Bible. Okay, John 13, starting with verse 1. And it was Thursday, the day before the Passover. This feast was to begin. Jesus knew 
that the time for the culmination and completion of his mission had come. And he would soon be leaving this world and turning to his father. He loved his children who were living in the world and would now show them that his love had no limits. Do you have your uh, bulletin with you? What, what does it say on the front of the bulletin? God's crowning act. Jesus was now going to show him that his love had no limits. Supper was being served. And Simon Iscariot's son, Judas, had already decided to follow the devil's suggestion and betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that his father had placed all things, whether in heaven or on earth, in his hands. And he had come from the Father to reveal him and was returning to God when his mission was complete. So, in order to give his disciples a further revelation of God, he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, and wrapped a towel around his waist and then poured water in a bowl and began to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. Now, Judas had placed himself right next to Jesus, and Jesus purposefully turned and washed the feet of Judas first. Judas had moved in to a place that was usually occupied by John, the beloved, the one who loved to lean on Jesus as he sat next to him. And John did not take any offense that Judas had pushed into what was his place. And as he was there, John watched what was going on. Jesus washes Judas' feet, and he goes right down and he's watching, sitting close by John near the end of the whole group is Peter. Let's see what happens. When he came to Simon Peter, Peter objected, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize the significance of what I am doing, but later you're going to understand the importance of all that I have done. And Peter resisted, saying, no, you are my Lord, and I will never let you wash my feet. Jesus answered gently. Aren't you glad we have a gentle Savior? Answered gently, unless, unless I cleanse you, you will be unable to be unified in a partnership with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter exclaimed, wash me. Only not my feet, but all of me, my head and hands and everything. Jesus smiled and said, A person who is already bathed needs only the dirt removed from his feet washed away, and the rest is already clean. A person who has had the rebellion of selfishness washed from their hearts needs only a residual habits of selfishness 
and the lingering misconceptions about God and his methods removed. The rest is already clean. And you are already clean, though not every one of you. And he said not everyone was clean because he knew that Judah's heart remained in rebellion and that Judas was about to betray him. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his outer garment and he returned to his place at the head of the table. Looking around to each one of them, he said, Do you understand the significance of what I have done to you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you are right in doing so, because that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have humbled myself and washed your feet, demonstrating selflessness and the unselfish love of God in action, you also should wash each other's feet. For I have set an example of loving service putting the needs of others ahead of my own, that you should lovingly serve others as I have served you. And I tell you truly, no servant is greater than the master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who has sent him. And now that you know the selfless principles of love upon which life and health are based, you will be happy and healthy if you practice them. What did Jesus do? Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? Let's look at four things. It's a fourfold answer to why Jesus left heaven and came to earth. The first one is found in John 14, verse 6. And it says, Jesus answered gently, I am the way back to my Father. I am the truth revealing my Father's character and the principles upon which life is based. I am the source of all life. I am the bridge. And the one who comes to the Father, no one else can come except through me because all truth revealing the Father has been provided. And so the first answer to that question is, Jesus came to reveal the truth about God and to show the love of the Father for you and I. Now the next one is found in Hebrews 2.14. Jesus came to defeat Satan. But it goes further than that. Hebrews 2. Verse 14, and since the children are human with flesh and blood, he too became human form with flesh and blood, so that by his death he might reveal the truth about God, consume selfishness with love, and destroy him who through his lies about God holds the power of death, that is the devil. So the first thing was that Jesus came to reveal the truth about God and to show us the love of the Father. 
the second of the fourfold answer is that Jesus came to defeat Satan in his efforts to destroy mankind and expose his lies. And now the third is that Jesus came to destroy death. It's found in 2 Timothy 1.10. And it reads, Jesus was his means of healing humanity. That's God's means of healing humanity. But how he would do it wasn't seen until the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who in his human brain loved perfectly. He destroyed death by destroying the infection of selfishness and perfectly restored God's law of love into humanity, healing the species and revealing life and immortality through the remedy that he achieved. And the fourth answer is, Jesus came to earth to restore the law of love in mankind. That's found in 1 John 3.8. And it reads, He who does what is selfish is practicing the devil's methods and principles, as the devil is the originator of selfishness. The reason the Son of God came to earth was to destroy the devil's work of selfishness and bring the universe back into unity with God and his law of love. That's why I tell you, turn to the person next to you right now, tell them, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Do that right now. Now, how much did Jesus love you? Well, when everything, everything is said and done, Jesus goes to the Father, and he has a request to make. This request is found in Great Controversy 484. It's one of the easiest things to remember. You just take the eight and divide it in two, and you've got 484. But here's what the statement says. Satan, in his efforts to deceive and tempt our race, had thought to frustrate the divine plan in man's creation. But Christ now asks that this plan be carried into effect as if man had never fallen. Thank you, Jesus. It's okay to say that in an Adventist church. It's all right to say, hallelujah. Jesus asked God, treat me as if I had never fallen. It's all right to express your joy in salvation. And let's read the last part of it. He now asked that the plan be carried into effect as if man had never fallen. He asks for his people not only pardon and justification, full and complete, but a share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. You, 
If you are faithful, if you trust God, you are going to sit on the throne of God. That's unbelievable. You are going to sit on the throne of God. Now I have a question. And if you're brave enough, you can raise your hand. Who's the worst sinner in the whole building besides me? Okay, those that raise their hands, I have something special for you. God says that the worst sinners will sit the closest to Jesus on his throne. Now, how many are the worst sinners? You're going to sit the closest. Jesus said it when he was here. He says that he that is forgiven much, loves much. And so the ones that love Jesus the most, he's going to have them the closest. What a sight that's going to be. You and I sitting on the throne of God. Wow. So Peter's reply, No, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered to Peter, No wash, no clean. But the question you and I have to look at is, you don't understand. You don't understand the plan of salvation is the plan of reversal. You see, you were created originally in the image of God, mentally, physically, spiritually, to be part of God's kingdom and to be one with God. And that's why Jesus says, carry out the plan, Father, as if they never sinned. Put them back on the throne. That's what you created them. God created you for greatness. And Jesus demonstrates the crowning act of greatness when he takes off his garment and bends down and washes the feet of sinful man. The creator... Washing the feet of sinful man. Do you understand what Jesus meant when he said, you don't understand? Do you understand? Jesus said it a few verses later. He said, do you understand the servant is not greater than the master? Right? But then he just did something. Who was the servant? It was Jesus. And when Jesus knelt down and washed your feet, and mark it well, he washed your feet. In the person of the disciples, he washed all of our feet for us. Every person from Adam to the last person born on this earth, Jesus washed their feet. And when he washed your feet, He elevated you above himself. God, the creator, did a crowning act when he knelt down and washed the feet of sinful men. He said, my love for you is so great that I am willing to risk all eternity that you might be forgiven and live forever as God intended. 
It's okay to say hallelujah. It's okay to say thank you, Jesus. So, you are now lifted above Jesus. That was a selfless act. Ellen White calls it self-abnegation. The word abnegation means to be self, uh, devoid of self. And I used to read that and say self-abnegation. I'd say, well, it sounds like it's saying you have no self-self in the sentence. But when Jesus washed your feet and he elevated you above himself, he said the servant washes the feet of the master. When he washed your feet and elevated you above himself, he gave you something. What did he give you? You find it in the beginning of John. It says he, as many as received them, to them, he gave what? The power, the authority, the right, and the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Jesus. Absolutely. Be joyful in what God has done for you. And so when he elevated you above himself and showed you what unselfish love was, and unselfish love is the rule of the universe, when he showed you what unselfish love was, now there was a decision for you to make. And you know what that decision is? Are you going to stay elevated above Jesus? Or are you going to show unselfish love and bow down at the feet of Jesus? It is a free choice. A free choice for you to make. And you know when you make that choice? You're going to make it this morning. You're going to make it this morning. In a few minutes. Look across the room at everybody. You see anybody there you don't like? See anybody you had a little difficulty with? That's the person you're going to wash their feet. Foot washing is about showing and expressing love. And, and, and Jesus says that we are to esteem all men better than ourselves. And, and when we bend down, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The, 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 the youth have a song. If you want to be great in the kingdom, what do you want to do? Be the servant of all. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. And so the foot washing gives you an, ex, an opportunity to become the servant of all. And what was it that Jesus washed? He washed the feet of the enemies, it says in the book of Psalms. He washed the feet of the enemies. Are you willing to wash the feet of your enemy? Because Jesus said, everybody will go to their friends because it's safe there. But to go to an enemy or somebody you just aren't comfortable with and say, you know, I, I, Jesus loves you and I'm working on it. And I'm praying that Jesus will change my heart. And that I will become like him, willing to wash the feet of the one that has done the most damage to me. I would be that willing.
You know, the, David had a way to put it. And David said he lifted me out of the miry pit. What you have to understand is the miry pit was a very deep hole, about nine feet deep, maybe even deeper in some places. And it, and it was almost impossible to move around inside of it. And, and in that miry pit, you could look up and you could see freedom. But there was no way you could get out. You couldn't pull on the walls. You couldn't do anything to get out. Your legs stuck in that miry mud and you couldn't even lift them. And as you're there in the miry pit, David says, he lifted me out. And you and I may have the wrong vision of God. We may think that God came to the edge of the miry pit. Now, God's not a little tiny guy, is he? Okay, he's a really big man. And he came to this miry pit and he knelt down and he reached down there and he took David's hand and pulled him up out of the miry pit of sin. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. God came to the edge of that miry pit in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, who had become human and was tempted in all points like you and I. And Jesus jumped into the pit. And while he was in the pit, he lovingly lifted you out of the miry mess of sin that you put in your life. And he took and he lifted you up and he put you on his shoulders. And then he lifted you up until you're out of the pit. And the father embraced you at the top. And then the father looked down into the pit. And like they said at the cross, mocking him, uh, he saved others himself he cannot save. Because there was nobody to go down in that pit and get Jesus out. But he was willing to do that for you and for me. To give his life in that miry pit to lovingly take us out and put our feet on firm ground. Firm ground. I have one more statement I'd like to read. This is way beyond redemption. A share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. This is way beyond justification. This is the crowning act of God. He is the ultimate giver. His love is so great, he will stoop and wash your feet if this is what it takes for you to understand how much he loves you. Supremely, he loves you. And freely he forgives you. And he died to reverse the curse of sin in your life and in the lives of all God's people. The law requires righteousness. Anybody here have righteousness? Filthy rags. The law requires righteousness. A righteous life and a perfect character. And this man has not to give. He cannot meet the claims of God's holy law. But Christ, coming to earth as a man, lived a holy life and developed a perfect character. These he offers as a free gift to all who will receive them. His life stands for the life of men. And thus they have remission of sins that are past and through forbearance of God. 
More than this, Christ, now you listen up, Christ imbues. Do you know what that means? That means puts into you, in every cell of your brain and in every part of you. Christ imbues men with the attributes of God. A share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. He builds up human character after the similitude of divine character. A goodly frame of spiritual strength and beauty. Thus the very righteousness of the law is fulfilled in the believer in Christ. God can be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus Christ. And that's from Romans 3.26 and is found in Desire of Ages, page 762. You have a very high calling in Christ Jesus. This morning, you have a better understanding of what foot washing is all about. Honor your Lord and Master this day as we wash one another's feet. Use the moment to heal hurts. Don't spend your time talking about frivolous things. This is a solemn time, but it is a joyful time. It is a time when we realize how much God really loves us, that he would stoop and wash our feet and then give us a share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. What a God. Our God is an awesome God. We're going to separate. <clears throat> what a joyful occasion this is. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But without the blood, there's no sealing of the covenant. But Jesus said, I have made a covenant with you. I will be your God, you will be my people. And I will save you. And so, he ratified the covenant between him and God that we could be reinstored in the heaven of heavens in the rightful place that God designed for us. A share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. The emblems of the body and blood of Christ, the body which was broken for you and I, broken because he bore our sins, and bore our stripes and suffered the punishment that we rightly deserve because of our rebellion against God. And then, to seal it all, he gave his blood. The blood is the life. And he gave us his life in exchange for our life. And he reversed the curse of sin. And now you have the privilege, the authority, the right 
and the power to become sons and daughters of God. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup, it is not with mourning, but with rejoicing. For our God has triumphed over sin and selfishness and now leads us on to a new life in Jesus Christ. Elder A will read about the bread and then he'll be followed by Elder Ron who will read about the wine, the blood of the covenant. You remain with heads bowed as they pray over these emblems and consecrate them back to God that they will do the work in our hearts and minds that we need. The elders will kneel and you remain seated. I will read from the first Corinthian chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. For, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord teaches on the night he was betrayed to bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I will kneel as you sit over there as we pray for the bread. Our loving Father in heaven, oh, how thankful our hearts as we are here to participate in this communion, reminding us of the great sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered on that night. Amen. Lord, I thank you for that. And we yes. pray for this bread that we are just about to put in our mouth may remind it to us that our sin has been forgiven because of that broken body that you suffer Amen. for us. Amen. For we ask in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it and remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Amen. until he comes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to serve you. Thank you for your sacrifice of your body and your blood. Because of this, we are part of the kingdom. We are restored. And hallelujah.